Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. When you think of food and San Francisco, there are probably a few things that come to mind. Sourdough bread from Boudin or Acme Bakery. Maybe burritos in the Mission or dim sum in Chinatown. And then there's chocolate. Of course, I had heard of Giardelli chocolates. Everybody, you know, that's sort of synonymous with San Francisco. Beth Casey moved to San Francisco in the middle of 2020. So I'm a newcomer here, and I'm a geologist. I work for the U.S. Geological Survey. And when she's not collecting sediment cores from the Bering Sea, something she actually did this past summer, she's probably eating chocolate. I'm really into chocolate. I drink a mocha every single morning. And, you know, I feel like there's two kinds of mocha drinkers. There's, like, people who just like something sweet, and then there's people who really like chocolate. And I'm the chocolate variety. And she noticed San Francisco has a lot of chocolate makers. It's like everything from big chocolate makers like Giardelli and Guitard, and then, you know, smaller ones like Dandelion. You know, there's a guy who makes truffles in North Beach, and there's a chocolate cafe in South Park. So I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening in San Francisco? Why are there so many chocolate makers? And my question really is, like, does it have something to do with the gold rush? This is Bay Curious, the podcast that explores the Bay Area one question at a time. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Today, we're going to dive into the rich Bay Area chocolate scene and understand why San Francisco's history and location created the perfect condition for chocolate makers, both then and now. Stay with us. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 
That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. To answer Beth Casey's question about what has made San Francisco such a notable chocolate town, we turn to reporter Aditi Bandlamudi, who is quite the lover of chocolate herself. Our question asker, Beth, is on the right track. The gold rush does have a part to play in the Bay Area's chocolate scene. In many ways, the story of chocolate here is one of immigration and ingenuity. The gold rush brought around 300,000 people to San Francisco in the mid-1800s from all around the world, and they were hungry. Domenico Ghirardelli and Etienne Guitard were two European immigrants who opened general stores to meet the need. They would go on to form two of the oldest and most iconic San Francisco chocolate companies. Maybe you've heard of them, Ghirardelli and Guitard. Guitard and Ghirardelli started because they wanted to sell chocolate to people who were getting gold. Greg D'Alessander is Dandelion Chocolate's chief sourcing officer. I sometimes go by chocolate sorcerer. And he says it makes sense that chocolate would come to San Francisco. Port cities were often the places that chocolate started and cocoa started because you had to get the beans here. The beans weren't being grown here. East Coast port cities like New York and Boston also had new chocolate companies. But West Coast chocolate makers like Ghirardelli and Guitard set themselves apart by marketing their chocolate as a luxury product. Much the same way people do with coffee. This Ghirardelli Square is no ordinary chocolate. Big chocolate companies like Guitard and Ghirardelli got the ball rolling, making raw chocolate from the cocoa bean into bars. It was only natural for other confectioners, or people who make things out of the chocolate, to open shop in the same area. A lot of people know C's candy. They use Guitard chocolate. Like, they had a source of chocolate very nearby, and so... It's one of these things of, like, industries grow around the industry they need to support them. And here's where San Francisco's chocolate history gets really interesting. We had access to the cocoa beans through shipping, and old-school chocolate companies making high-quality raw chocolate. But it's the creativity and knowledge of San Francisco's diverse population, folks from Europe, Asia, Latin America, and beyond, that elevated those raw materials into truly magical chocolate treats. If you look at the many chocolatiers in the Bay Area today, many of them have built their businesses by putting their own cultural twist on chocolate. I'm standing inside Socola, a chocolate shop in downtown San Francisco. Wendy Liu, the founder of the company, opens huge boxes filled with guitared chocolate chips called Calais and scoops them into a bowl to start melting them down. She started Socola in 2001 with her sister Susan. We were teenagers at the time growing up in Santa Rosa. Our parents had a nail salon, so that meant every day after school we'd go there to help out. And of course, we really didn't enjoy doing that. We'd rather go across the street to the mall. And the first store in the mall is Seize Candies. Wendy and Susan tried all the samples and soon got used to the classic flavors of vanilla and chocolate buttercream, peanut butter, butterscotch, you know the drill. One day, Wendy decided to try making her own chocolate treats. She started out with a bonbon, a chocolate shell with a ganache center. So I found a recipe in Gourmet Magazine for a mocha espresso chocolate, and I was instantly like enamored with chocolate and wanting to learn how to make it. 
make more chocolates and more flavors. She and Susan started selling chocolate at their local farmer's market stand. At first, they were making the same flavors they'd seen at Seas Candies, but they felt like they were playing a game they'd never win. There's going to be someone with better credentials and trained skills of like, oh, I was trained with this person, and then, you know, that for a chocolatier that kind of sounds better. When they started, Wendy and Susan didn't have all that fancy training. So the sister team decided to pivot. Farmers market customers were curious about the company's name. Sokola means chocolate in Vietnamese. And when they found out, they'd ask for Vietnamese flavors. People were like, oh, make a coffee flavor. And I was like, well, that sounds interesting, but I also don't want it to be boring. So can we make it Vietnamese coffee and add some condensed milk to it? And then so we kind of just started doing that where someone's like, oh, make a spicy chocolate. And I was like, I won't make chili, but I'll make sriracha. A few years after they started their farmer's market stand in 2001, Sokola started releasing bonbons with flavors like durian, passion fruit, even pho, like the Vietnamese soup. And then it was kind of like more fun and more interesting to come up with flavors that reflected our heritage, right? So it was like, let's make chocolates that uh, flavors that don't exist and then no one can compare those. As I talk to Wendy, she hands me one of her latest creations, a pandan coconut bonbon. Mmm. Wow. The pandan is so subtle, and yet it, like, kind of hits you at the end. I can't totally figure out how the chocolate flavors are working. Honestly, it's just sorcery. In 2014, Sokola hit a milestone, opening a brick-and-mortar shop in Rincon Hill. I feel a lot of happiness, like, representing our, our heritage and our culture and that, you know, we're you know, part of mainstream chocolate now. And before then, there, there were no other Vietnamese chocolatiers. San Francisco's early chocolate makers were predominantly from European countries. But that's slowly changing as pioneers like Wendy and Susan at Sokola pave the way for more experimentation. In the last decades, the Bay Area has seen an explosion of new chocolatiers of color, many of them women, who are boldly playing with flavors in these bite-sized edible pieces of art. This is toffee and black sesame and dark chocolate, just in the shape of a dragon for the Lunar New Year. That's Kimberly Yang, a Taiwanese-American chocolatier based in San Rafael. She owns the company Formosa Chocolates. Formosa is the old name for Taiwan. Um, when the Portuguese sailors first saw it, the coastline, they said, they said it was a beautiful island. Kimberly grew up in Oklahoma and, like so many first-generation immigrants, struggled to claim her cultural identity in such a different place. I didn't have a lot of Taiwanese friends, let alone Asian friends. She became a psychiatrist and moved to the Bay Area for a job with Kaiser. When I moved to the Bay Area, I just started to notice more of this community. Psychiatry was exhausting. So to get away from her stress, Kimberly took chocolate-making classes. She discovered a passion. I got to the point where I was just feeling kind of burnt out with medicine, and um, I thought maybe try my hand at starting a chocolate company. Kimberly's industrial kitchen is vast and gleaming. She's piping fine lines of chocolate onto her Asian Twix bars, one of her signature candies. Twix is one of my favorite candy bars to eat, and I think so many times customers ask, like, so what's Taiwanese about your company? And 
mostly it's me. I'm Taiwanese. <laughs> um, but I thought I needed to lean more into Asian-inspired flavors, and I thought miso and caramel goes together so wonderfully, and I've been wanting to do more things with black sesame, so I just made a black sesame shortbread. Some of her other innovative flavors include balsamic vinegar caramel and strawberry bonbons, shaped like an anatomically correct heart, gold-dusted bonbons with Taiwanese kavalan whiskey and honey ganache. When she started the company in the fall of 2019, she was full of hope. Then the pandemic hit. Well, initially, I just had all this inventory on on my hands. And it's like, oh, gosh, there's nothing more depressing than a chocolatier with nobody to sell their chocolates to. She had to find a way to sell directly to consumers. That meant setting up her own website, figuring out how to ship chocolate across the country without it melting or breaking, marketing and customer service. I'm the one doing that, and it's not as intuitive as you'd think. But eventually, Kimberly found a rhythm. She became known for her limited edition Lunar New Year boxes. The Michelin Guide featured Formosa chocolates, and Bon Appetit magazine included them in a list of the best chocolates to buy online. Kimberly must have been doing something right, because last year, the State Department asked her to make chocolates for the APEC summit. The order went through, and so we made 3,300 boxes of bonbons for the dignitaries. I don't think I'll ever get such a big order again. That was a lot. I I mean, it's it's good to know that I can handle it. (laughs) Kimberly plans to keep experimenting. She'd like to try making chocolates that aren't even sweet but instead play with spicy or umami flavors. And she's confident that in the Bay Area, at least, there will be people who want to try them. She's got her mid-autumn festival mooncake bonbons to prove it. Growing up, like I don't think most people knew what mooncakes were. And, and maybe most people in America don't know what mooncakes are, but people in the Bay Area do. It's, it's really interesting. And it's nice to not have to explain all of that to people. Because in the Bay Area, there's room for it all. Classic bonbons with caramel and raspberry fillings, ganache flavored with pandan, pho, or miso, and whatever new invention comes next. In many ways, the story of chocolate in the Bay Area is the story of the Bay Area. Lots of people from different places coming together, infusing the tastes and textures of their culture into everything around them. That was KQED reporter Aditi Pandlamudi. Thanks to Beth Casey for asking this week's question. Have you voted in our February public voting round yet? Here are the questions we're considering. When I visit the Great Mall in Milpitas, I see some signs or plaques within the mall commemorating the Ford Motor Company plant that used to be on the site. What's the story behind the former plant? What's at the bottom of the bay and is there any treasure down there? How are canned artichokes made? What happens to all the outside leaves? Just how many artichokes are growing in California? Head to baycurious.org and cast your vote. You don't need to sign up or log in or anything. You just click. It's so easy. And while you're there, check out the Bay Curious archive for any interesting episodes you might have missed. Bay Curious is made by Katrina Schwartz, Christopher Beale, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Additional support from Jen Chien, Katie Springer, Cesar Saldana, Maha Sanad, Holly Kernan, and the whole KQED family. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Have a wonderful week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? 
Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you, whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks.